Hey there, folks. How are y'all doing? This is Steve Fletcher with Small Talks Big Ideas with Steve, a radio show and podcast from your friends at Low Country Local First, a local economic development nonprofit here in the Low Country of South Carolina. We are based on King Street Extension here in downtown Charleston, and we're all about advocating for and supporting local independent businesses like the business. That's going to be on today's show. It is a, a really, really cool local uh, company that does something that I had never heard of before. I think it's phenomenal, important, impactful work. It's community building work. It, uh, we are lucky to say that Turn 90 calls Charleston their home. That's the name of the company. I've got here Leah Ryan with Turn 90. Really excited to dig into some interesting conversation with her. Um, and you're going to learn a little bit about Turn 90, what they do. You're going to learn about Leah Ryan, her professional, personal journey. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting it kicked off. So, Leah, I'm going to have you introduce yourself, if you don't mind. Um, and I'd love for you to just share with the listeners uh, a little bit about who you are, what you do. And then we'll start to get into what Turn 90 is all about. Sure, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. I'm so excited to be here. Of course. Um, my name is Leah Ryan. I'm the Director of Communications and Development at Turn 90, a nonprofit, as you mentioned, here in Charleston. Um, I am, in general, a writer by trade, a storyteller, and somehow that has translated into this amazing role with this amazing organization that I'm honestly just so proud to be a part of. So uh, I'm going to backspace uh, here for a minute. Turn 90, the nonprofit, right? Yes. All right. That's live radio, folks. So you're rolling with the punches and you are, uh, you're bobbing and weaving as I uh, make mistakes within the first 30 seconds. Turn 90, the <laughs> local nonprofit. Well, I mean, you can call us a business too. A big part of our organization is our social enterprise. So I, I sure. wasn't even calling you out as a mistake. <laughs> I was just, you know, moving the conversation forward. No, no, I appreciate <laughs> it. I want to make sure we're, we're accurate here. This is, uh, this is community radio. So Turn 90, the local nonprofit and tell me about that enterprise work and that kind of business component of what y'all do because I the way in which you're not just uh, you know bringing the community together but also like earning revenue and and uh, kind of equipping folks with work and kind of connecting individuals together particularly individuals who historically in other communities may or may not be sort of overlooked by a society or a system um, who may be marginalized for one reason or another. Tell me more about Turn 90. It's it's such interesting work that you do, and I'd love to hear it from sort of the, the marketing director's perspective. Sure, yeah. I, I mean, that's what I'm here to do is talk about it. So Turn 90 as an organization overall, we create a new direction after prison for people who are at the highest risk of rearrest. So here's sort of where we start. Um, across the country, 62% of people who are incarcerated and released this year will be re-arrested within three years. Wow. Um, and we're talking about over 600,000 people released from prison each year across the country. So that is a lot of people caught on the incarceration ci incarceration cycle. You know, it's, it's a lot of times a school-to-prison pipeline. It's children who've never had an opportunity at a good education, um, you know, coming from unstable homes, violent neighborhoods, um, you know, people like to say that we're in the business of giving second chances, but the reality is a lot of the guys we work with, this is the first chance they've ever had. Hmm. So, you know, 62% of those people going back to prison and our founder and executive director, Amy Barch knew that there had to be a better way. And so in 2019, she launched it. We were called turning leaf at the time. Hmm. Um, we've recently changed our name and, 
it was one of those things. It began in starts and stops, right? Like so many programs designed to help people. Um, you start with a thing and you hope that it helps. And if it doesn't help, you adjust. Hmm. So after, uh, I can't do math, but let's say ten <laughs> a, a decade of um, programmatic investigation and changes, um, we have this four-part program, and a huge part of it is our social enterprise. So the parts are um, we work with men coming home from prison who are at the highest risk of rearrest. The first thing we do when they get in the door is they're going to go through approximately 100 hours of cognitive behavioral classes. Um, so cognitive behavioral therapy has been proven through the years. Um, it helps with a lot of um, sort of disordered thinking around eating disorders, addictions, violent behavior, impulsive behavior, um, disrespect for authority, uh, things that, you know, just people then have a tendency to not control themselves and that's those become behaviors that lead them to the streets. Sure. Um, we also, the second part of our organization is case management. So when someone comes home from prison, their life is probably not that stable. They're returning to the same places and people that led them to the streets in the first place. So that's a lot of what leads people right back into the street life. Mm. Um, so we help them find housing. We help them find transportation. We help with food. We have groceries that are donated to us every week that the guys in our program take home. Um, so that's the second component. The third part is that social enterprise. Um, we provide an immediate access to a legal paycheck for some of the guys that we work with. It's their first legal paycheck in their lives. Wow. Um, and so that social, social enterprise is actually a screen printing business. Okay. Um, so we print t-shirts, totes, um, tank tops, pretty much anytime you see any of us, we're wearing turn 90 gear. Um, that we make in-house. Everything is hand-printed on these really cool old-fashioned screen printing machines. And they're old-fashioned because they're just, they're the same that's been used for generations because they work. They're easy. Right. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. Um, and then the fourth part of our organization is we do job placement. So the guys are with us about four months. Okay. And when they're ready to graduate, they've been through the whole program. Um, we place them in jobs with some of our community partners. And we make sure that those jobs have a livable wage they have benefits and they've got opportunity for um, growth moving forward. So these are like career path jobs. We're not just, you know, setting, sending guys out on an interview. Right. We're making sure that they're employed and they stay at their jobs. You know, we keep track of them after they leave just because oh, you're cool. graduating our program doesn't mean you're leaving our family. Right. That's awesome. I love how you've got that sort of metrics in place to keep tabs on what's happening after turn 90 to ensure that I'd imagine you want to make sure that it's, uh, you know, what you're doing is successful and success I imagine means finding sustainable employment or activities or, you know, making sure that these folks are fully reintegrated to mm -hmm. society and feel like equipped with the skills to do so. So that's amazing. I, I want to learn more about the printing part itself. As you were talking about it, I thought, well, that's so cool. I mean, there's probably tons of different ways you could maybe, you know, attempt to you know, help individuals reintegrate to a society, right? To mm -hmm. bind them with other folks and like-minded individuals and get them connected to resources and, 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 and capital and, and just sort of like, you know, information about how to um, prevent the risk for recidivism. Um, but I want to know specifically about the, the printing, right? That's so cool. So you're using old equipment, right? You're using, which again, is I mean, it's like broke, new, don't but fix it. Yeah, yeah like new, I've been but in classic, the let's I've, call it classic. I've been in the shop briefly, and so I was fortunate to kind of just peer around. I didn't know exactly what I was looking at, but you can tell it's a 
A, you can tell it's a very well-oiled machine, right? Mm -hmm. So they may not be using the you know stuff from 2025, right? It's not necessarily futuristic, but you get the sense it it works, and it's it's um there's a lot of craftsmanship going on, um and the equipment though it may not again be uh you know uh, robotic, it is a very human powered and human centered, and that seems to be like kind of at the core of what you all do, just in having chatted with you for a few minutes. So. Tell me about, I mean, I walk in there, how many, how many, um, gentlemen, and is it gentlemen, uh, mm, typically, yes. okay, how many gentlemen am I seeing at any one time? How many are enrolled in the program at any one time? And then what's sort of like the division of labor? Are there, are there, are there guys who are pressing shirts? Are there, I mean, is anyone designing stuff or are you simply getting, are you, are you exclusively getting designs sort of like off the shelf from organizations or individuals who want uh, totes or shirts or hats printed or I'd imagine maybe there's somewhere along the way where a design comes but it needs to be sort of like perfected or polished up is there anyone sort of working on computers there or is it all really like physical labor a lot of questions there feel free to pick that apart <laughs> as, as you see fit I apologize I'm barraging you but walk us through for the listeners out there whether they're a business owner or an individual they maybe they want a t-shirt or a hat or a tote printed and they want to make sure they're doing so in a sustainable community focused way or maybe they're just really interested in learning more about what turn 90 looks like when you pull back the curtains and you walk into the shop um Walk us through what the experience would be for someone who's never been into the the warehouse and the factory and the shop. Sure. I don't even know where to begin with that. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll start with the actual printing process. Okay. So what you need to keep in mind with us is that we we call it, we can call our guys apprentice printers or you know temporary workers. Um, one thing I want to make clear from the get go though, because this is like a really important statistic to me personally. Sure is our guys are not just paid for their time in the print shop, they are actually paid for their time in the classroom as well. Oh, cool. Um, which, that's sort of how we get people in the door. The incentive is that legal paycheck, right? They're, awesome. These are guys coming home and they need to support their families immediately. What we also see though is classroom work is a little boring. <laughs> and living as one of our guys recently eloquently called it, the square life, <laughs> it's a little boring. So we do actually have a fairly high turnover rate of okay. guys who start the program but don't stick with it. Um, and that's, you know, for a lot, so many different sure. reasons. But we do have a fair number. We have a lot that graduate and they go on and do amazing things. I could geek out about them for days. But anyway, so you have a lot of new employees on sort of a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Um, so we have to keep the things that we're asking our men to do fairly simple. Um, they do learn the trade. They learn how to push ink through screens to get the ink onto the t-shirts. They learn how to set up the screens, um, taping them to make sure that ink doesn't go through in the wrong space. So like, I guess the basics of screen printing that you need to kind of understand mm -hmm. at this point is it's an art that goes back, you know, centuries. Um, and it used to be called silk screening because I guess you would do it on silk primarily, but now we do it on all sorts of different fabrics. And it literally is this very manual process. Um, Anytime you look at a t-shirt that has a graphic that has multiple colors, um, if it is screen printed, that graphic has been split up into different screens, one screen per color. Got so it. So if you're looking at a graphic that has, you know, four different colors, that actually takes four screens. Wow. Um, so the shirt is printed, you know, a minimum of four times. If you're looking at dark ink on a light fabric or light ink on a dark fabric, you might actually press each individual color twice hmm. to make it darker. So there's a lot of like really l manual labor that goes into cool. these shirts. That's awesome. So the guys are definitely learning how to do that. 
Um, they're learning how to load shirts onto the platens. The platens are sort of the platforms that you set the shirts on. Um, they have to be loaded in a very specific way. Th these are things that I did not know before working there because why would you know that? But they have to be loaded, <laughs> you know, the same way for each shirt um, so that each shirt is identical because that's the goal. Sure. Um, there are guys who are learning just to pull the shirts off and put them through this conveyor. Um, the ink is actually cured through heat. So it goes on sort of like through a con like if you've ever seen pizza cooked on a conveyor which okay. is as a jersey girl i'm going to say not the ideal okay. way <laughs> to cook pizza but if that's how you do it that's how you do it right, um right. so they're passed under heat and that cures the ink so then you can go out wash and wear okay um you know that's all it takes about 30 seconds so there's guys doing that there's guys on quality control comparing the image on the shirt um, to the image as it should be printed to Got make it. sure it looks right. Okay. So there are all these like individual um, sort of almost like factory line work right. um, jobs that the guys are learning how to do. So and it's really, it's satisfying to take a pile of t-shirts that have nothing on them. And then at the end of the day, you've got like this beautiful row of like, folded t-shirts sorted by size and tagged it's amazing and and are the gentlemen uh, assigned with particular stages of that process based on sorts of skills or aptitudes that arise in that classroom portion um yes to a point anyone can learn any aspect of screen printing okay. but you've got to like you've got to have a desire to print um, because it's, it's just a very repetitive motion mm -hmm. and you get inky, I'm not going to lie, sure. you get all sorts of messy in the print shop. Um, but there's no like formal, you will be printing this. Like we try to make sure that everybody learns every aspect okay. because we want it to be as much like a real workplace as possible. Um, and we want them to come away feeling like they really mastered something. Right. Um, because then they know that they can go into another situation and master it. Um, so if a... We like to say that the guys who come in, we're going to teach them as much as they want to learn, right? Got it. Nice. If they want to keep learning, we'll, we'll keep teaching them. And placing them in a career afterwards, that's the end goal. Yes. How do you go about doing that? We have a, a woman on staff. Her name is Mara, and she manages all of our community partnerships. Um, we work with a lot of different, um, we work with, say, like County of Charleston, um, Public Works, that kind of job we also work with private manufacturers um landscaping crews and there are people who come back to us again and again hey do you have any more guys hey do you have any guys ready to you know be hired sure um because our guys are coming to them you know really well trained um it, it sounds goofy but as part of working in our print shop and being in our classroom you're not pulling out your phone every five minutes you get mm -hmm. in trouble for that um, and by in trouble, I mean, you get an X and you don't get points for that day. We operate on a point system and the more points you get, the higher level you get, the higher you get paid. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. So, you know, we're training them on a lot of like the basics of being employed, you know, staying on task. So these guys, they go out into their real jobs and a lot of them succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of them are almost immediately shift supervisors or floor managers, things like oh, wow. that. Yeah. Because they're. They're excelling in what they do. They have the basic skills and they stay, which is mm -hmm. nice because a lot of these jobs are you tend to see are kind of high turnover. Yep. Um, something like 80% of our guys are staying at their jobs at least 180 days oh, wow. or longer. Oh, wow. And a lot of them stay for years. That's phenomenal. And I'd imagine that sort of, uh, you know, s not strict, but that regimented 
um, structured vetting process that y'all do probably helps ensure that the individuals with whom you know you're connecting other uh, organizations with are are ready to be in it for the long haul, or at least have determined this is for me. This this general area of work is something I'm good at. I'm I'm in a place personally where I'm able to commit to it, and I, I really want to be part of, of something bigger than me. Um, so that's that's I think that's a great model. Um, are you all modeled after any other organizations? I mean, I haven't heard of another similar nonprofit out there. Again, my worldview working for a local economic development nonprofit is a little bit small. I'm, you know, I'm a little bit pigeonholed or, or uh, you know, I've got my blinders on at times. Um, are there other organizations or businesses that are doing a sort of model to help reduce recidivism rates? So there are definitely other organizations that reduce recidivism or attempt to. Um, and there are definitely a lot of organizations that are nonprofits with a social enterprise component to put their people to work. Sure. Um, we think and are pretty certain that we are the only organization exactly like us. Cool. Um, our whole program, like I said, it, it, it's been developed by trial and error. Um, our founder, Amy, she is one of the sharpest people I've ever met. Um, she's truly brilliant. And she really um, is remarkable in that she really lets data drive her. Mm -hmm. um, we, we laugh uh, a lot together because she is all numbers, all data, and I'm all story. And together, we come <laughs> up with a pretty good That's balance. A good balance. For, yeah. yeah. You need that. Um, yeah, it helps. Because um, she's like, I didn't even know we needed a story until you came up with it. <laughs> I, know you, I knew you needed a story before you knew yeah, you needed a story. Classic numbers person. Total numbers person. So... She's always let the data, you know, drive her program. When cool. it started, she was literally just teaching classes in the prison. Um, oh, wow. And they were the cognitive behavioral classes, but just in the prison. And then enough people got on board. So many people were being referred to her classes in prison. And, you know, judges were requiring that, you know, people take her class as a part of their release. Wow. Um, that it became apparent that she was onto something there. Um, so then she you know, founded the nonprofit and just started teaching classes. Mm -hmm. um, and they were half, it was a half day program and guys would come in and take classes. And it, it really wasn't, we weren't getting the success rates that we wanted because it wasn't necessarily a paid experience. We didn't have guys who wanted to come. Sure. So then one day she just added like, so I guess screen printing was originally brought on just, just like an activity. Um, you know, we had this wonderful, wonderful human being, Colin, who screen printed as, sort of his business and as a hobby and he and his brother would come in and just show the guys what to do just to kind of teach them something and like enrich their day. Right. And then he actually helped launch our print shop. So then it was a full day program and, you know, keeping the guys in house nine to five Monday through Friday, we immediately started seeing success rates go up. Um, Amy custom wrote this curriculum. We teach wow. our curriculum it is 25 social skills and it's things that are as simple as saying no, handling feedback, or even just active listening that, you know, you and I grew up, it was modeled around us all the time, whether in school or at mm -hmm. home. Um, a lot of these guys, when they're kids, you know, they're just really, they're not getting that behavior modeled for them. Sure. So it's, it's like, it can be life-changing to just have someone say, no, you really have to, here's how you can understand the feelings of others and use that to inform your decision and your actions. Mm. Um, they do a lot of role plays in the classroom. That's huge. They practice these skills so that then when they have to use them in the real world, it's like they already kind of have it ingrained in them. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess at this point, our exact program, I think, is pretty much one of a kind. We are growing. We are expanding. 
we're hoping to become the first evidence-based prison reentry program. Wow. Um, and to expand across the state. Um, we've just opened our second center. We hope to go beyond oh, congratulations. that. Congratulations. Thank you. Where um, is that? But it's up in Columbia. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, we're hoping to open our third center in Greenville or the upstate really um, in 2023. And then we'll do what's called an impact evaluation to okay. make sure that we're doing what we say we're doing and that we're having the impact we say we're having. Um, and then from there, you know, the sky's the limit, world domination. That's fascinating. Yeah. The next up, planet Earth. Um, exactly. Are there ever conversations, um, you know, behind the scenes with, with you and Amy and Maura and other folks um, who work uh, for Turn 90 regarding how much or how little organizations like Turn 90 might be able to one day integrate more closely with the with prison systems themselves. So I'm watching a documentary right now called College Behind Bars. I don't know if you've seen it. I think that's I what it's called. You're the second it's person to tell me about it, so I need to just watch it. Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, if you're out there listening, check it out. Um, and I recommend it to you as well, Leah. I'm learning a lot. You probably already know everything on it, but it's still a worthwhile glimpse into all of the ways that our, that our incarceration systems are broken yeah. and have been historically so for a long time. It looks at specifically, and I've only watched a couple episodes, and it's like a five-part docuseries, so don't hold me to all the facts and figures here. But it, from what I can tell, it, um, you know, it, it, it looks specifically at these attempts that have been successful to varying degrees over the years um, throughout the U.S. to establish uh, systems of education within prisons. Um, to try to do a little bit about what you're talking about, but to generally try to actually, in the spirit of these rehabilitation centers or, or these prisons that talk about themselves as if they're corrections opportunities, and we all know that that's, you know, for the most part, a bunch of baloney, to put it plainly. Um, but but it, it looks at some educational systems, I'm forgetting the, the name of the one kind of preeminent program that actually is within a prison physically, and prisoners will, will come and actually attend classes, and these are like high-level, very competitive classes across many disciplines, and when you look at the stats, folks who um, leave prison having been in these programs are, you know, like 90% more successful and like 95% less likely to go back to prison, something like that. Again, don't hold me to the facts and figures. So there's obviously, point here is there's a lot broken, as you know better than I, about our prison systems, Turn 90 has created something in my eyes, from my view, that seems to be an incredibly important, sustainable, impactful uh, program to sort of retroactively unbreak a broken system, right? Um, I'm just wondering if, I guess this is a long-winded way to ask, has there been discussions about whether there's a way for Turn 90 to continue doing what it's doing, but also experiment with or explore ways of sort of fixing the, the problem at, at the source as well? I mean, does that, does that even make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And I totally see where you're going. Um, and I'm going to say for right now, we are very much staying in our lane. Sure. Um, we are actually about to start teaching classes again in prison. We hope we're trying to get oh, wow. that all set up. Um, so oh, our classroom cool. facilitator here in Charleston um, he's actually a program graduate. His name is Winard. He's going to hopefully begin teaching at the county jail because we're literally right next to the county jail. And then up in Columbia, actually the first program graduate we ever hired, his name is Blue. And he is just this remarkable guy. His story would absolutely shatter you. Um, 
but he is now, I mean, he's just amazing. And his life's work is to help men who are coming home from prison who were facing the same challenges he was facing. And um, he is going to hopefully start teaching in some of the um, Midlands prisons, hopefully this year. And we're working on it. So, so they're teaching screen printing? Mm, no, actually, we're doing. In, when we go into the prisons, we're not teaching a trade. We are teaching those cognitive behavioral oh, skills. Oh, okay, got it. So, that's sort of what helps a lot of the behavior I change. See. Okay, um, and that helps the guys think about things differently because if you're coming out of prison and um, you think the system's out to get you, mm-hmm. you don't think you need to control your temper. You don't think that you have to follow the rules. You're going to recidivate. You're going to wind up right back in prison. No matter what else goes on in your life. Got it. Chances are it, it's just it's a lot of those behaviors and attitudes. Um, Makes sense. We call it new thinking. Um, and that's, that becomes very important. Um, to your point, though, yeah, system's broken. Since 1980 and sort of the launch of the war on drugs, there was something like a 500 percent. It's either 400 or 500. I'm totally I'm not a numbers person. I'm a storyteller. <laughs> um, but a big percent, massive percent um, increase in prison populations in the United States. We wow. currently incarcerate more people than any other developed nation by far. I mean, we're not talking, oh, we're close to any other country, like by far. And our incarceration system very, very disproportionately affects people of color. So if your skin is brown, chances are it's going to affect you in a far different way than it would you or I. Hmm. Um, and it's so severe that one in three black men is likely to be just as impacted, i.e. incarcerated throughout his lifetime, as opposed to one in 16 white men. Wow. So that's a pretty, it's a pretty big problem. Wow. Yeah. So mass incarceration, as we know it today, um, it's a civil rights issue. It really is. And yes, we know it's broken. We know it needs to be fixed at the source um, it is starting to be fixed at the source. Um, this is really the first time since this all went down that across the board, you're seeing people know that the system is broken mm. and rules and regulations, sentencing policies, they're starting to change. Marijuana is getting legalized in most states. Mm. Um, when you consider that m- a lot of the people that are locked up are locked up for simple drug charges. Sure. And, you know, there were three strike rules that would put you in jail for decades just for, you know, having marijuana. Um, it, that's what a lot of what leads to, you know, incarceration. So people are starting to get released. But if you take as fact that our incarceration system, with exception, for the most part, does not actually rehabilitate people, mm-hmm. you're talking about thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people coming home each year, who have not been rehabilitated in any way. And that's not to say when they went in, they needed to be rehabilitated. If they were just smoking pot, whatever, more power to them. Sure. But if you're in prison for 20 years, no matter what, that's going to affect you. Um, So what we're kind of trying to do at this point is to help those people who will hopefully be getting out of prison over the Mm -hmm. next, you know, decade or so, help them reintegrate into society by creating this model that can be replicated across the country. And um, hopefully you know, help people stay out of prison moving forward. It's, it's fascinating and important work. Yeah. Sort of reorienting the systemically disoriented, um, Ooh, I like is, that. is incredible. Um, I, I too, uh, I'm not a numbers or a story person, but once in a <laughs> while I'll put a few words together that make uh, some sense. 
Uh, that's fascinating, Leah. Thank you for, for kind of walking through all of that um, for, the, for the uninitiated or for those of us who don't have the facts and figures to really... I think sometimes it's easy to identify a problem, or not easy, but folks tend to see that there's something wrong, but it's not always clear exactly what or exactly how um, that, that thing is um, in disrepair. Um, for those of you tuning in, we're talking with Leah Ryan. She's in charge of all things communications and marketing. We're having a great conversation in spite of the fact that I'm part of it. We're learning a lot, hopefully. <laughs> if you're out there and you're a business owner or you're just an inquiring mind and you're interested about some of the different ways that local Charlestonians are rolling up their sleeves and helping out in our community. This is the conversation for you, or one of them at least. Um, we're talking about Turn 90, which is a really cool, unique, revolutionary approach to reducing the recidivism rate through social enterprise. It's a great nonprofit based right here in the low country of South Carolina. Um, Leah, tell me how you ended up with uh, Turn 90. What's t give us a little bit of a background as to like what your story is. You're doing some like really heavy, important work right now. Just wondering how you ended up where you are. Yeah, I mean, I you can go as, gra uh, <laughs> as granular <laughs> or as top line as, as you want. Well, like I said, at, this, at the outset, I'm a storyteller. I'm a writer. Um, I was an English major in college, graduated. I lived in New Jersey. That's where I'm from. And I was really cold. So I moved here to try to warm up um, and took a chance job at Blackbaud, which was the tech industry. Um, obviously, obvious place to land for an English major, right? Um, before I started working there, honestly, I didn't even know how to turn on a computer. I was pitiful. I don't, to this day, I don't know why they hired me, but I'm so grateful <laughs> that they did. Um, they make software for nonprofits, and they sort of opened me up to the nonprofit world that I didn't even really know existed at the time. Um, so I worked with them. I worked with a client for a while. I worked back with Blackbaud, did that whole early 20s thing. Um, and then I started focusing on writing. I fo started focusing on storytelling. Um, did a lot of freelance work, wrote some books, had minimal success, realized you can't really pay the bills. I had to go, you know, find something else to do. And I just sort of happened into the, back into the nonprofit world. Sure. Um, I worked for the Charleston Library Society, which was an amazing organization. It's beautiful library down on King Street. Um, helped them. It's so cool there. You feel like oh. you're stepping back in time. Seriously, I still, I love going in there. It's one of my favorite places in the city. Um, and then helped them launch a literary festival. And as the literary festival grew and sort of went out on its own, I stuck with that for a while. And, you know, it was great. It was nonprofit work. It was books and literature, which are just like some of my passions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was moving forward with that. It was a great path to be on. And I loved every minute of it. But all these weird little things kept sort of pointing me towards Turn 90. Um, I had never even heard of it until a judge, a federal judge, came to the festival. And he and I hit it off. I wound up um, helping him and his wife learn PowerPoint um, as part of his, you know, he was doing a presentation about a book he had written and needed the photos. So I was, like, training them on PowerPoint. It's, a, it's always a red flag when you're learning PowerPoint from someone who, by their own admission, doesn't know how to turn on their computer. Hey, I know how to turn on a computer work. now. <laughs> Um, so he starts talking to me just off the cuff about okay. this organization he works with called, well, again, back then it was called Turning Leaf and he was telling me what a great nonprofit it was. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I think at the time he was just sort of talking about it and it, it just struck me. It was like, oh my gosh, these people are really doing something. They're helping men who are returning home from prison. That's amazing. Hmm. I just, you know, sort of filed it away in the back of my brain. And, um, a couple months later, actually, my boss at the literary festival brought it up and he was like, oh, I just toured this place and 
it's amazing and you should know about it. And I was like, okay, filed it back here. And then about a couple months later, my child started middle school and befriended a little boy and they were buds and I wanted to meet his mother so that we could get our kids together. And I wound up meeting her in the front office of our children's school. And we started talking and she worked for the judge that had told me about turn 90. Hmm. And her brother actually was the classroom facilitator at turn 90. And at that point I was like, okay, clearly all these signs are pointing me here. The universe wants me to explore this. this Exactly. Um, So I kind of looked and I reached out to the director and I said, here's my skill set. Like, can I volunteer? And she was like, well, you know, I have a lot of people who want to volunteer. What can you do? I was like, well, and at the literally the day before they had posted a story about one of our one of the program participants Hmm. and they did a great job writing this guy's story. But as a writer, I knew I could do better. (laughs) And that sounds so snotty. And I'm just going to own that um, because I'm going to own the fact that I have this one weird skill set. Own it. Um, So I said, I can write your student stories. Cool. And she said, please do. So I volunteered for about a year writing the student stories. Their classroom facilitator, Joe, would interview the guys, record it, send it to me, and I would sort of create a narrative. Oh, that's awesome. It was, and it was. And like, I would just, I just got so invested in each story and each man, and I was like getting drawn more and more in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to be helping these people full time. Sure. So as part of the expansion, Amy realized that they needed marketing help and communications help. And they posted the job and I was like, hello, (laughs) I'm your girl. And, um, you know, not looking back. So now I get to tell the story of Turn 90 full time. That's amazing. Fascinating how you you wound up there. And and, and it's like, you know, I I feel like I I maybe err on the side of, of, I do this myself. I'll look back and be like, it'll, it'll be sort of a revisionist version of my own history, or it'll be a, I I'm, I'm lacking the word, but there's a way of sort of looking back and telling yourself or narrating a story such that like everything was, was pushing you in a, in a singular direction. I think I make, I think I sort of twist that maybe beyond the breaking point at times just mm-hmm. to make myself feel better. But as you talk about your story, it's like, dang, like there actually were ways finding points along the way that were actually guiding you to, I mean, you had a judge, you had someone working for the judge. There was just, there was a student in your son's class who connected you back to it. I mean, every sign was sort of pointing to this organization for you along the way, which is really, really cool. It was. I mean, I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I really feel like I'm making an impact here. Like, helping these guys tell their stories, helping the organizational, you know, get the word out. Yeah. It's, I feel so lucky to be here. So, so what's next for turn 90 and its story and the gentleman who you uh, help, you know, communicate out their narrative for every day. And uh, what, wh- what do you, what do you see coming up next in terms of your role with turn 90 and then turn 90 in general, particularly from like a marketing and storytelling perspective? Um, growth. Like I said, I mean, we, so people have called us the best kept secret in Charleston. Oh, I like that. Um, yeah, but that's not going to cut it is the thing. We have to stop being a secret. You're like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> like we need more people to know that we exist. Um, we need, you know, people, we need business to run our social enterprise. We can't employ guys if we don't have shirt orders. Sure. Um, we need people to want to employ our men. We, the men that we send out into the workforce, we can vouch for it. We, I mean, it, it's, 
I want to talk about our guys for a minute. Please. Um, because they're such an important part of our story. Sure. Um, and, and before you do, if I may, yeah. we, we got some shirts from Turn 90. They were really awesome partners of ours. Uh, one of our biggest events of the year called the Good Business Summit. It's run by Low Country Local First. And Turn 90 um, sponsored and supported us in a big way. And one of the ways they did so was by actually providing a number of T-shirts that were pressed, that were screen printed by their men. Um, and I got to say, not only was the, the quality incredible, not only were the shirts amazing and were the colors vibrant and was the durability of like the t-shirt itself really, really high, but the, the complete package literally and figuratively of like getting that box. I mean, I picked it up at the facility where these things are being printed. I, I dug into the box. I picked up the shirts and on each shirt, I mean, Leah's about to talk about the gentlemen who create these shirts, but on each shirt was a tag with a name on it. And it was like, from what I can understand, the gentleman who was either quality assurance or maybe did like the final touches on the shirt, whatever it was, it was really impactful. And I, I literally got goosebumps and thought, man, what a cool organization doing such cool stuff. So sorry, back to you, Leah. You're gonna you're gonna walk us through some of these these guys' stories. No, I feel like I'm, I feel like I need to like give a disclaimer. I did not pay you to say all of that because that was amazing. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So the guys, I mean, the guys are the heart of our organization, right? Mm -hmm. Like we do the work because of them. Um, like I said earlier, they're, they're men who are growing up in these like difficult neighborhoods, sure. super difficult scenarios. I interview them now, like, you know, usually one or two a month and the stories they tell me will, you know, just break your heart, rock your world. I'm going to tell you a little bit about blue. Um, because like I said, he's the first graduate who's hired to our full-time staff. We now have five graduates on staff, which is amazing. So like we employ the men that we graduate from That's our program, awesome. which is like, put your money where your mouth is. Right. Um, Blue is, he grew up in the 70s, and his, he grew up in North Charleston. His father was a member of the local Black Panther Party. And at the time, um, really, what the Black Panthers were trying to do was just community activism sure. and organization. Yeah. So his father would put together talks on how to you know, better support the community. And cool. um, they would go to the dealers, because there were always drug dealers on the streets. But, and they would say, you know what? We know you're going to do what you're going to do, but you've got to go ahead and still make your community a better place. Like, mm -hmm. don't trash the community. Like, you know, and it, and it worked at the time. It was really, it was doing, it was, it was working. Um, Blue's father was also a known petty dealer. So he did deal, um, which isn't, of course, great. But Blue was being raised to see that his, his dad wanted something better for his community and for his family. Um, his dad would take little Blue everywhere with him to all of the community organization events and to the barbecues and to this and that. And mm -hmm. So Blue at eight years old was just this little wide-eyed, wild little boy who was just thrilled and had this big father that he thought of as his Superman. Um, and when Blue was eight years old, his dad was out hanging out with a couple of friends on the street. They were just hanging out. They weren't doing anything. I mean, did they... I don't know if they had drugs on them. I don't know. Um, but a couple of white police officers came in, um, pulled them over, like came over to them and said, you know, we're going to search you guys now. And Blue's father said, no, you're not. I'm literally just standing here. You have absolutely no reason to do this. Um, so as the story goes, um, Blue's father resisted arrest, was beaten. Um, according to what Blue was told, mm -hmm. he was then driven around, like he was thrown in the car, handcuffed. He was driven around the street, taken back out, beat again. Oh, Jesus. Whatever happened that day blue's father died the next day oh my god um from a head injury blunt force head trauma um there was no lawsuit you could pursue there were no body cams 
Um, all that little eight-year-old Blue knew was that police killed his daddy. So Jeez. at eight years old, he lost it. He um, was a dealer by, I think, age 12. Um, he was running the streets hardcore. He dropped out of high school. He was violent. He and his friends were violent for violence sake because why not? Rules didn't apply. The police mm -hmm. killed his daddy. Right. Um, and there was just absolutely no recourse. So fast forward in time, he got married. He was trying to live a straight life for her, but it wasn't working. So he was still dabbling and being in the streets over here. Um, he had never been taught to control his impulses. He was babysitting his mistresses, his girlfriend's little guy, little mm -hmm. like three-year-old. And with no impulse control, the child was crying and Blue sort of struck out at him physically. And the child wound up dying. Mm. And Blue went to prison for over 25 years. And when he came to turn 90, back in, I think, 2017, he knew he had to find a better way. And he will say Amy changed his life. She helped him put pieces back together. He is now literally dedicating every day to making up for that crime. Um, and he shares his story to say, you know, it's, it's not accidental what happened to him. Um, something like these children get put on this path mm -hmm. by circumstance. Yeah. And if there's not an intervening force, yep. there's really no way for them to turn their lives mm. around. Um, so now you have this man who's like literally dedicated to fixing things wow. because of this mistake, this terrible, terrible mistake he made over two decades ago. Yeah. Um, but then what the world does is he was moving to Columbia to help staff our um, new office and he couldn't get an apartment because do you know that every, almost every main like big apartment complex, mm. they do a background check. He's going to fail uh -huh. every background check you ever run on him. <laughs> So it's like it's the system yep. that keeps these men down. So we're just doing everything, po everything possible to lift them up and help them move forward in a world that, you know, has just spit on them. Um, wow. Time and time again. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's an incredibly heavy and yeah, powerful. Sorry, I took that sad. Back, no, but I mean, important story to tell. I'm glad you did. And I'm glad Blue is uh, is on the right track. And I'm glad Turn 90 was able to be part of his story. And I'm glad that uh, that his story is one that that he's comfortable sharing. And it, it's a, I think it's it's particularly important that you are at the helm and someone is at the helm who's able to sort of make sure that these stories are getting out there. And it's important that these men are comfortable sharing their stories in, in powerful ways and are, it sounds like, very um, forthright with what mm -hmm. happened. Um, and sort of like clear-eyed about it as well. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, that's that's powerful stuff. Um, I, I I've got a question about um, how these stories, these narratives, these life events, kind of like are communicated out to audiences locally. So is that are you are these going out on social media? I mean, the reason I ask is because there are folks probably listening in live, but also a number of folks who are associated with businesses and they're looking to market what they do, tell a story around what they do. It may be quite different than what you're doing in the nonprofit realm, but I'll, I'll tell you as someone who works kind of at the epicenter of this particular local economic development nonprofit who puts on endless numbers of workshops and webinars, 
around many different business topics and themes, but particularly marketing seems to be the thing everybody wants to always know everything about all the time (laughs) and and feels like they're always doing incorrectly or could always be doing better. And there's probably some truth to that. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm sitting with someone who certainly has made it clear she knows, you know, left from right, up from down when it comes to marketing. And you've got a very profound sense of how to use marketing as a, as a storytelling tool and to tell the story of your organization, but also of all the people in the organization that make a difference and move the needle. What would you tell to folks out there who are listening in and are thinking, man, I need, I need someone, if I can't have Leah working <laughs> on my marketing team, right? It sounds like you're, you, you love turn 90 and probably won't be departing anytime soon, yes, if sir. ever. Um, if I can't have Leah, you know, what do, I, what, do I either, what do I either share with the current marketing team or how do I hire a, a marketer or someone who has the same sort of mindset? That's a great question. Um, to, uh, to like answer the very first part of this, we, we share About three hours we sh- ago. <laughs> no, we share, we share the stories everywhere that we possibly can. We have a page dedicated on our website just for the men we serve. Cool. So like if you go to turn90.com and you click about, you'll see who we serve. And right there, that's the men that we work with. And those are their stories. Cool. That's T-U-R-N-9-0.com. Um, no, actually it's T-U-R-N-N-I-N-E-T-Y, all spelled out. Got it. Um, okay. Apparently, there was already a turn 90 with a 9-0. What can you do? You can't win them all, right? (laughs) Um, As long as they're not reducing recidivism. No, I think it's a golf. It's a golf. Okay. It's like golf. (laughs) Some golf term. Yeah. Something like that that I I don't understand golf. Um, Anyway, they can go on your page, and there's all the stories are right there mm -hmm. on what, like, is like a blog or it's a spotlight page or something? We're we're a WordPress site. Okay. Uh, um, And the cool thing about WordPress is that it is very content-oriented. Um, so it, they're all like blog posts Got basically. Cool. Um, and it's, it's just very simple. Like we had a couple guys redo our website this past year and they did a phenomenal job. Um, amazing, amazing work. Um, was it a local web developer? They're in Atlanta. Okay. That's all right. They're local to Atlanta, Atlanta folks. They were referred by a friend and they cool. just, they did such great work. Anyway. I've been on the site. It's a great site. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I mean, we definitely make them part of our story, part of our they're just part of what we do, right? Yeah. They're at the heart of everything we do. Um, we share them on social media. We do um, anywhere we can. Um, but so far as marketing, use use your tools that you have. Like your website's always going to be your biggest selling point, right? Sure. Um, it's important to make sure that your content is fresh and accurate. Um, all sorts of things. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I would say, but just... Leverage it, leverage your own story. Right, I mean, everything, right. every business is unique. Every business has something special. So find that and tell that story. Um, you know, there could be 9,000 different landscaping companies, but you're only yours is yours. Love that. So what makes it so special? I love that. So, so it's, it sounds yeah. like, uh, it sounds like turn 90 could use a couple, probably a few different things from our community. And I, if I tell me if I'm, if I'm extracting a few of these incorrectly, but it sounds like at least two of them are as follows. One is, and by needs, I don't mean need. I mean, you know, is 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 happy to engage with the community on, on the following uh, terms. But one would be if a company or a business or an enterprise or an initiative or a nonprofit or an organization or an individual needs a T-shirt or a tote or a bag or some sort of textile, right, that they want graphics or a design printed on or emblazoned on and they want to purchase X number for their event or for their staff or for their family reunion, what mm-hmm. have you, then it sounds like, 
reaching out to turn 90 is a good first step, Absolutely. Right? Okay. So you heard it here first. It's great quality. I've got a shirt. They're super durable. The artwork is amazing. And you'd think it's built on machinery just because it's so perfect, but you have that kind of, in your heart, you, you, you know that it was built by a set of hands that has an incredible story and one whose story was uh, what was altered in a positive way by a really important nonprofit. So it's like a win-win-win as far as I'm concerned, getting in touch with Turn 90 if you need a t-shirt or you need a bag or you need a, a hat or really anything. Um, they're a great, and, and it's affordably priced as well. I mean, there's really no reason not to reach out to Turn 90 as far as I'm concerned if you need something made up for an event or a class or your company. So Turn n-i-n-e-t-y dot com check them out sounds like the second thing you'd be interested in, in exploring potentially and correct me if i'm wrong leah would be if there's a business or an organization or a company or an enterprise here in town that is looking for workers um and employees and the folks who are at turn 90 currently might be good prospects then getting those companies and organizations in touch with you and your colleagues might also be a good idea, right? To sort of build out that pipeline. Absolutely. That would be great. Um, and we make sure that every guy that we place on a job, it's a job that's really going to suit them. Um, you know, if somebody doesn't feel comfortable working in crowds, we're going to make sure that they have a job that they're kind of on their own. Um, cool. if, if they do better around people, we'll make sure that they're in a busy space. Um, so yeah, we want to, we want to work with as many organizations as we can to offer our guys as much of a variety of options as possible. Um, because you know, they're people and they have opinions and they have likes and dislikes, same as us. So let's give them as many options as we can and get them work that makes them feel some, at least, at least as fulfilled as we feel. Right. It's important work from a mission, kind of emotional perspective. It's also good business sense because here's an organization that's already done like a lot of the vetting for you. Some of the interview process for you, you're saving time and money and energy and personnel costs because Here's Turn 90. They've enrolled these potential new workers and employees in their own classes. As Leah just mentioned, they've sort of gathered information about where their particular aptitudes lie. So these folks can show up, you know, day one or day two after they've gone through whatever interview process your organization has in, in place. And they're ready to sort of like hit the ground running, it sounds like. I mean, you're able to share really actionable, important information about this employee profile before they even show up for the interview, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's really cool. So remind me, and I know you mentioned a few of the industries, if you wouldn't mind just like double clicking on those industries uh, for which Turn 90 gentlemen are most um, appropriately placed into after the program. I think you mentioned like landscaping and there were a few others. Yeah, I mean, we've traditionally worked with private manufacturing, okay. landscaping, um, like I said, city, county, okay. um, those types of jobs, but you know, we're open. We've, I think we've been sending some guys to some retail locations recently as like stock, but as yeah, long like as warehousing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. I mean, uh, the main thing is we want to know, we want to know our employers as much as they want to know our guys. Like sure. we want to make sure that it's a good fit. We want to make sure that the pay is right. We're not sending anyone to minimum wage. It's not a livable wage at this point. Um, that was probably the most political thing I'll say today. So forgive me. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that shouldn't be yeah. political. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, minimum wage is, uh, yeah, tough to raise. I, I think that the mindset around, and I'm with you, I don't want to, I won't go beyond a certain line. And if I yeah. do, y'all can stop me. But 
yeah, I mean, I think it, I agree, and it should go without saying that minimum wage, as it exists, particularly in this in the in the state of South Carolina, is a wage that would would barely suffice for you know someone in like high school for doing a summer job. And unfortunately, I think, and again, I will stop after this little uh, mm-hmm. little tidbit that I'm sharing, but I, I think most would agree that unfortunately. It isn't just those, whether or not you agree that that's enough money, which is a whole other loaded bag, but whether or not you agree that's enough money for a high schooler or someone just doing kind of an odd job or a temp job is another story. But the fact is you must agree that unfortunately it's not just those sorts of situations that are ending up with that job, right? So we've got to make sure that the the wage level that individuals who in, in many cases are raising families on Mm-hmm. is is as you said livable and Fantastic. so i love that you're kind of identifying businesses or industries or particular potential employers that are offering that absolutely i mean you just sort of hit the nail on the head i mean these are guys who are trying to support their families yeah most of the guys we work with are fathers uh, most of them are either paying child support or trying to actively support their children sure um and rebuild relationships with their children so it's very important that they have this wage that allows them to do it and to do it legally so yeah well i'll say for my part leah i'd love to kind of chat with you and uh, other folks at turn 90 further offline about uh, different local independent businesses here who i know would be interested in chatting with you about 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 trying to uh, you know place some of these prospective employees at their business because Again, for all of the requests that we field from locally headquartered businesses and nonprofits regarding how they can do their marketing a little bit better or more strategically, we get probably these days especially two or three to each one of those requests that are about how can we fill up you know, our, our, our business with the right kind of workers right now or workers who are uh, – particularly suited for this type of work hiring and recruitment are like the number one obstacle and opportunity right now for a lot of our businesses and i'm sure a lot of the folks listening uh, you know this isn't news that i'm sharing with you and this is based on surveys we do it's based on anecdotal conversations we have it's why one of our big panels at the good business summit a month ago was centered around hiring and recruitment and how to do it better um, and more dynamically and how to do it in a way where you're retaining these folks. So I think it's great that it sounds like, Leah, once these workers wind up at some of these great local businesses or not local businesses, they end up staying for a long time. Mm-hmm. You mentioned what 80% are there like a hundred or 150 days into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal, phenomenal. That's really, really important work and an, an incredible statistic to be able to hang your hat on. Um, well, Leah, we're coming to the end of our hour here. I want to make sure that we've opened it up for any more uh, kind of comments or insights or questions or concerns that you might have or any sort of lingering parting thoughts that you wanted to share with our audience. While you're thinking on that, I will just mention to everybody again who's listening in, whether it's live on Ohm Radio 96.3 or it's on the podcast that hopefully is making its way to your ears at some point after the fact. This is Small Talks, Big Ideas with Steve. I'm Steve Fletcher, your host. This program, this podcast, it all comes to you for a few different reasons, one of which is the nonprofit I work for, Low Country Local First, which has been a community steward, a local business community advocate for about 15 years, um, has made it possible. They let me sneak out of the office over to this cool studio right on Meeting Street in downtown Charleston, hang out with great folks like the station manager, Grace, um, and, and Vicki, who, who runs uh, Media Reform SC, which is the umbrella nonprofit organization that runs OM. 
man, it's, it's just great people over here. It's a great opportunity. And I get to talk with really, really interesting local business change makers and nonprofit change makers as well. And today it's, it's Leah Ryan, who again is telling the important story in a really dynamic way about all of the gentlemen whose lives, truthfully, she and her colleagues at Turn 90 have changed in, in some way, shape, or form for the better post-incarceration. Um, it's an important local story, and we get to tell it here on Ohm Radio in the Low Country. So, Leah, any parting thoughts after my uh, my kind of like winding, circuitous monologue? If you're still with me, <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. No, I love it. I, I'm so grateful to be here today. So, there's you know that parting thought. Um, I really think that sort of the parting thought is just that we believe everyone should have the opportunity to change their lives for the better, and you know we just we love really that. hope other people believe that as well. Love that. Thanks. How can you how can you disagree with that? How can you not be moved by Leah's words? Leah, thank you for being here. Truly, thanks for carving out some time. And thank you all for listening in. I feel very fortunate and privileged I'm able to bring some of these conversations to your ears every couple of weeks on Small Talks, Big Ideas with Steve. Make sure, if you like the show, to check out more about the show online at lowcountrylocalfirst.org. We'll see you all in a couple of weeks. <laughs>